Hello, listeners. This is Marsha Epstein, and I'm listening to Birds, My Dogs at My Feet, and we're recording Talk With Me on lawrencehips.com in Lawrence, Kansas. It is the first day of August when we're recording, and here in the Midwest of the USA, normally that would mean it's about 100 degrees and about 100% humidity. That's not happening. We will take it, and I know we'll get that weather soon. In the meantime, I'm a big fan of always try things, learn things, do things that you didn't know you might like to do. Some of them you won't like, some of them you will. Well, so our current thing, and I say our because my dog is at my feet, my husband is upstairs doing whatever he's doing. Our new thing is kayaking with the three of us, dog and two people, (laughs) in this delightful inflatable kayak. Why inflatable? Because you can carry it around more easily than putting some kind of carrier on top of your car and figuring out where you're going to store it. Anyway, we're having a blast trying to learn to work together (laughs) because kayaking is more efficient if the paddles are used coordinated. And so I'm just saying this little thing because it's cool to keep learning stuff and trying stuff, you know? you may not like something that you try. And then you also may go, this is way cool. I love being outside. Kayak is perfect. Of course, we're kayaking in a small Midwest lake where it's not a huge challenge to make sure you get back where you started from. I'm not sure what it's like in other environments, but we'll build up to that. Anyway, in terms of trying things that you may or may not already have been trying, I know that a lot of my listeners are people who really enjoy writing, who are writers, who are out for readings, who are performing at readings, who started with open mics, whatever. And I also know that some of my listeners are listening kind of from the other side, which is, as I say, I'm at the intersection of art and mental health. So some of our listeners aren't as as art focused and then they get little glimpses of it. And I'm still saying to those people, go to a reading sometime, go find something, not just the most academic thing that your area university might have to offer, but go to some community event that features an open mic, people reading, people telling stories, get a sense of what that's like. And what you'll probably find is that One, it's a lot of fun to be in that room. Two, some of the things you're going to hear are going to make you think, wow, that's kind of like me. You know, sometimes there are very serious things that are being shared, very personal things. And people in the audience are like, wow, I wouldn't have the courage to say that out loud. But it sure is good to know I'm not the only one who has that experience. And, And it's a great thing. And when you love what you've heard, go tell that person after the the reading has ended. Even better, go show that person by buying their book and having them sign it. They're cool things to do, lots of cool things to do. Money doesn't only have to be spent on fancy coffee drinks. Yes, I have a bias against spending money on fancy coffee drinks, but hey, do what you like, support your local economy, support local artists, all that good stuff. And for now, I want to introduce you to an artist who is local to some other part of the country, not mine. My guest today is Charles Joseph, and he's coming to us from New Jersey. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. 
cool. Me too. And it's so fun because you shared one of your books with me. And and as I'm reading bits and pieces, and the way that I that I read is I tend to look at part. I, I don't don't want to just. I don't have to start at page one and go to the end, you know. So I'm kind of flipping through what are the titles of these things, and I'm looking at things, and it made me realize how much connection we can have with people that really is connection that's fostered through social media. Because we may have people that we would love to be in the room with, but you know, there are hundreds of miles between us. And so I'm, I'm reading through your book and I see this poem and it's the one Poet Dad. And I don't know whether right. you're planning on, on sharing it, but but it's it's a poem with a dedication. And I don't even know the person it's dedicated to, but I recognize her name because over the last few years, I've had several interactions with Damian Rucci from New Jersey, who is soon to be from Kansas City. Anyway, so that is like, how cool is this? Anyway, so I want you to tell people a little bit about you. Um. You know, I'm, an, I'm Charles Joseph. I'm an expat in New Yorker living in New Jersey, which is kind of strange because growing up, like I always said, I would never move to New Jersey. And yet here I am. And I think that in a lot of ways that people say things they'll never do and they wind up doing them anyway. Uh, I have a penchant for jean jackets. Uh, let's see what else? Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I've, I've traveled a whole hell of a lot. I, I meet a lot of people and, you know, I'm, as much as I'm not a people person, I guess I kind of am because I'm a hugger. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much it, I guess. <laughs> so what's the New Jersey, New York thing? Being a Midwesterner, I don't know about this. What's 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 the thing going on there? It's kind of like anything else. I mean, if you live in one state close enough to the next state, you know, like there's some sort of like, you know, like all those people aren't like us kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. But, you know, I'm here. My My wife is actually from New Jersey, so. You know, that's why I'm here. And, you know, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I've actually met a lot of people here that I, I really love, you know, like uh, like friend-wise and, you know, in the poetry community and the writing community, like, you know, so it's great. And, you know, like you were saying about online, and, and I've actually met like so many people online that like turned out to be like friends that I've never even stand in, I've stood in the same room with that I talked to from California from, yeah. You know, you know, I met, you know, one of your other guests, John Dorsey, you know, he lives in uh, Missouri. Yeah, see, and, I don't uh, really know where he lives. Bell, Missouri is yeah. one of the places he's been stationed for a while, but I don't know what he calls home in general. <laughs> yeah, so he's in, yeah, he, John's in Missouri, you know, and like, you know, so I have a, you know, some, that's the good thing about the internet, I think, is that it's brought a lot of artists together to collaborate. I mean, I've collaborated yeah. on projects with people, like, I'm actually working on something with somebody from England. So it's, you know, that's a very positive thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's interesting in terms of the social media thing because for me and in, in the realms that I'm involved with, and again, you know, art and mental health, different parts of those are both present in almost everything that I do, but. Um, right. There, there are times when, when it's important for people to remember to, to get out and experience people in person. And there are times yeah. when the social media connection is how we connect with people, period. Right. You know, but, but if I, when I have, a, I have one friend, I, I tease him about this. You know, he'll say, well, 
you know, let's, you know, I can, I can uh, do a phone call at this time while I'm walking my dog. And my response is, no, thank you. You know, it's like, yeah. you live in the same right. town that I live in. If <laughs> it's not important enough for us to get together in person, I'm not really thrilled about spending a lot of time talking <laughs> with you on your phone while you walk your dog. You know, if it was a crisis right. thing, if, it was, if there was something like you need help with, that's different. But it's like, that's how we're going to socialize? No, we're not. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I think it's also a generational thing. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But it's also, you know, because I think about, well, it's not a generational thing for me that I'd rather text than voice. You know, it's, it's, oh, okay. it's that... Um, I, the, the one challenge, and this has nothing to do with writing, but as long as we're here, the one challenge that I have with, with communication is how soon do I have to respond to things, whether it's literally a knock at my front door, a voicemail, a text, an email, a Facebook message, a Twitter, you know, whatever it is. I, I, there's this part of me that says, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to do something with this right away. And it's too much. It's too intrusive. So then right. it's like, okay, I don't want to answer any phone calls, <laughs> which isn't realistic. Yeah. Yeah, this is not realistic. Right. But, no, but it makes sense. I feel like etiquette kind of, the, edit, the, the new etiquette hasn't been established, I guess. Uh-huh. You know, like, <laughs> I remember, you know, like, I remember saying to friends when I was a kid or like younger, I was like, all right, you want to go out Friday night? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. All right, I'll give you a call on Thursday or I'll, I'll call you Friday morning. And you don't speak to that person until then. Yeah. And well, now it's it, like yeah. everything's automatic. Yeah, yeah. And and it's funny to me when I think about communication. I, I recently had a friend who, who posted, and I, I wish I could remember the name. It's some, some um, outside... Um, I think it's an, an outside art venue that has installations that um, reflect, in some sense, history, different, different, um, not like ancient history, but like, let's just say the past 50 years or so. And so one of the one of the installations uh, was um, these, I'm going to guess it's some kind of concrete blocks that had been painted with faces like kind of line drawings of faces and on top of each one and these faces have different expressions were different old school telephones like from a rotary dial phone was on one and these different kinds of but phones that not not like cell phones nothing like that but phones that were plugged into the the wall someplace and i come from a professional background of working in crisis intervention counseling services where did a lot of work by phone and so you know you'd have in a, in a center you'd have a lot of, of physical phones and people answering them and so the person who posted it really wasn't somebody who'd, who'd been exposed to that you know by age you know it's like this just just showing this one this one exhibit at this at this place and i said that's what you know th- that's what crisis centers used to look like <laughs> you know it's like it's like yeah we used to use real phones and do this and th- i mean they still do but you know, it's like, oh my goodness, things change. Things change. Dial a phone. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Just for sure. So, I mean, some people. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say, I, I, that, uh, we can talk about all kinds of random stuff, and I'm gonna have a blast. But I don't want to neglect the fact that we're talking <clears throat> because of your writing. So we probably should talk some about yeah. your writing. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. That would be fine. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I take the work really seriously, but like, I don't take myself too seriously. 
uh-huh. which is like, I, you know, like, I don't know, like I felt like the work at one point, like, you know, maybe four or five years ago was kind of changing me as a, as a person. Like I was becoming more guarded, becoming like mm-hmm. less social. And that's not really the person that I am, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, uh, you know, the book that you're, that you're discussing that you, that you had spoke about is chameleon. And basically like what you were saying about, you know, kind of flipping through it. I mean, that's the premise of the book. You know, the, the, the book is a reader. Like one of the first books that I really loved was like a Jack Kerouac reader. And it was like, you know, I can just kind of flip through it and read passages. And I really like that. So like, I always, mm-hmm. I said to myself years and years ago, I'd love to do something like this. And like, that's basically what chameleon is. It, it's, it's a hodgepodge of, of work that I that I've written, that I wrote, excuse me, from 2012 to 2016. And there's 60 poems in there and six stories. And, you know, it kind of gives you a, a really good identifier of where I'm at, where I'm going, and where I've been. And it's really cool. And it's funny even how how a name of, a, of in this case, the book, a word can, ha- can be so imbued with meaning. When I hear the word chameleon, it takes me back to childhood. It takes me back to visiting my maternal grandparents who lived in Kansas City, and I lived in Southern California or Northern Texas at different points in growing up. So we'd visit my grandparents, and there must have been some times when we visited that we would go to a circus, and at the circus, I don't know why, but one of the things, like they have pennants and they have this and that, chameleons. They would sell chameleons, which is totally bizarre. Really? And my maternal grandparents in their lovely home, which to me was the home that was the only constant home that that I sort of think of in terms of childhood, because um, with my mom and my brothers, there was lots of moving and lots of different things going on. So my maternal grandparents, that was sort of a touchstone home. They had a screen and porch. And for some reason, we thought it was a great idea to, my brother, my older brother and I probably were the two who did this, to, that we, we, we were uh, able to talk the adults into buying us chameleons at the circus. <laughs> and then, of course, we let them loose in our grandparents' house. <laughs> Right. So there's this this whole connection to a different time of life and my maternal grandparents who were so important um, in so many ways to, to, uh, you know, experiences, constancy, love, and also in in so many ways I realized that that there are things about them that founded, that sort of informed who I would grow up to be. So all of that in that one word title, Chameleon. So thank you, Charles. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, I actually had the title of the, of the, of the book before I actually wrote the title poem. Mm-hmm. And the, the basic premise of that, like, I guess every writer kind of like comes up with these things and they, they, they fashion this kind of like view of their work or whatever behind things. And there's these hidden meetings. So, you know, like, it, you know, like, basically, like, I feel like my work really changes a lot mm-hmm. and it's constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, like, I do sleight of hand work, basically, I call it. It's like, you know, a lot of my stuff, like, it'll start off very um, simple. And it'll have a double meaning. It'll twist in a knot by the yeah. end of it. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, um, so basically the, the title of the book represents my work in general. It's not like I feel like 
my work constantly evolves. It's constantly changing. I'm not really doing the same thing more than I can, you know, once, twice, the, the most three times. I mean, I really, really can't stand it. I, I get complacent very easily, especially with writing. And and like, I really like to, to change things up and I don't like to be repetitive. Mm-hmm. How about sharing that poem, Chameleon? Just yeah, to, sure. to, to give people a, a little taste, and I, I don't know whether there are other poems from that book that you'll be sharing or otherwise, but but yeah. I think it will explain some of what you're saying through your poetry. Sure. I mean, that was actually the first poem that I had picked to read today. Oh. So, Chameleon. Okay, so, Chameleon. Everything always seems better with a fresh coat of paint. Of course, it depends on how you choose to color it how thick or thin you decide to lay it on. But with a little practice hiding all those cracks and blemishes from your family and friends, it's pretty easy to do. The hard part is living with whatever's festering beneath the surface. Yeah. And and that's one of those kinds of poems that, that, that I think a lot of people can relate to in so many different ways, you know, that that that, you know, what's what's underneath inside of us is so important and does affect how we go forth in the world. And sometimes we have done a really good job of camouflaging that. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's basically it. I think that everybody goes into, has some sort of traumatic experience in their life or traumatic experiences in their life, but they have no choice but to hide because the, you know, I mean, it's not good to hide, but I mean, there's all these things that are secrets that like, even, you know, that you, you're talking to somebody and everybody has secrets. So, I mean, that's basically the premise of it. I mean, even for myself, and if you try to get any secrets out of me, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and secrets are a whole thing to me that, that we need to, to be conscious of like, what, like in your poem, Chameleon, you use that word festering, festering beneath the surface. And for me, if I think about something festering, I think something needs to be done to heal that. And so some secrets need some safe place to be examined and and healed rather than hidden. But we also, we need to learn who and where and when <laughs> to, to, yeah. to do that revealing, you know, when I'm, I don't, it's funny how things kind of come to me when I, I listen to things that people are talking about with me in, in my social work. And I realize a lot of people as adults have a huge amount of shame that's become part of their identity. And, sure. and that is something that I believe we can let go of so it doesn't keep festering and getting more infected. <laughs> well, I, I think that, the, I think that, I think that, you know, like they, you know, the old expression, you know, time heals all wounds, you know what I mean? I, I think that festering, you know, like, you know, things come and go, they, there's an ebb and flow to it. And especially like, you know, depending upon that, you know, there's things that happen and they kind of, you know, you kind of like, you'll get closure maybe, but it'll still come back at you. It can, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the hard part. The hard part is, you know, going, getting through the days and living a whole life with, you know, with baggage that you need to be able to, you know, to cope with. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, they never told us this when, when we were kids that, like, you know, life happens. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and you, you know, know there's that part of like you're saying you know we we need to get through the days with whatever this is and and my my add-on is and we need to experience some highlights in every single day that to me is is part of the deal um it's not just about getting through the day and doing whatever things you have to do to stay alive in so many ways. It's it's also to me about learning to experience joy, and it, and I'm not saying right. 24 hours a day, but man, no. that's what makes life worth living, and that's why sure. I, I encourage people try things that you didn't know whether or not you'd like them, try different things. You know, you, you just described yourself earlier on, Charles says, you know, you're not complacent, you know, you, you want to do things differently. And, and I think sometimes we can feel intimidated and think, no, it's, it's too late. This is just how I do things like, nah, there's always room for changing and trying new things. Yeah. I think growth is a very important thing. I mean, I'm constantly looking at everything that I'm doing and like, kind of like saying, okay, how can I do this better? Or how can I enjoy this more? Or what do I really want to accomplish? You know, and it's not, for me, it's not really financially based. It's a lot of times it's just art based. I'm trying to do so many things with what I'm doing that, you know, like that's what makes me happy. That's what keeps me, you know, going every day. You know, when I'm not writing, when I'm not writing or doing, working on a project, I'm miserable, you know, and like, that's just part of my mental state of mind. But you know, that's what drives me. And, you know, I, I'm constantly working on new things and doing, trying new things with that. You know, in my life, you know, I, not to keep droning on, but like, you know, there's a poet from, uh, he's uh, not San Francisco. Uh, what is it? Near San Francisco, Paul Coleman Roberts. And he, I, I, I was talking to him a while back and he said to me, you know, don't forget to live, yeah. you know, with the writing. Yeah. And it's, it was like something that like, he was and like, you know, cause I was just so like, locked into what I was doing and you know, he was he's 100% right and there's no work you, number one you, you can't write if you don't live at all right. and number two you can't like you know there's more there's more than just what you're doing at the moment you need to remember to live and do things right. that make you happy yeah well and and that's exactly what I was thinking based on what you're saying about your writing it's it's wonderful that your writing is is one of your passions what are some totally not writing things that you really enjoy well I mean like fishing I mean I I grew up I grew up on an island so like you know my whole childhood I was fishing um like I'm really like infatuated with the printing process I mean I that that has to do with writing in a way but like the paper, the the stitching, the binding, like I'm really starting to think about doing some like things with like just like printing posters and art in general is like a passion of mine, like just like going to museums and things like that. I've been to a lot of museums around the world. Mm-hmm. And you uh, mentioned traveling right at the beginning when you were talking about yourself, traveling in jean jackets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, traveling in jean jackets. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess that kind of defines me as a human. It's the fact that I like did a lot of traveling and I like jean jackets. Like even most of the pictures you'll see me is like I'm miserable when I don't have a jean jacket. I go to the movies in the <laughs> I go to the movies in the summertime just so I can like sit in the movie theater with a jean jacket on because of the air conditioning. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I need a jean jacket fix. Get me someplace with too much air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I, I'm looking at the wall over here. People laugh at me. I have like, I think like 15 of them at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. So what, what started you on jean jackets? I'm going to ask that before I ask about your writing. What's, what's the, what yeah. is the joy of jean jackets? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, you know, like Jackson Pollock is probably like one of my biggest influences in life. Like not his life in general, just like, the way that he approached his art, the, the his look, his whole like, like if I could look like Jackson Pollock every day, I'd be like pretty pleased with myself. <laughs> uh, you know, there's like, you know, and, and like that's pretty much what started it. You know, like I didn't, I don't know. I mean, I like the feel of it. I like the color of it. I don't know. Uh-huh. It's just one of those weird things. I'm, I'm a creature of habit. You know, like I'll buy like, you know, four or five of the same shirts. <laughs> so how do you complement your jean jackets with something on the lower half of your body. <laughs> this is a challenge. I wear jeans thing. every day. Yes, like I but, always wear jeans. But, no, I mean but always. <laughs> not every jean is at the as. Here's my thing. I believe that our clothing has to have some contrast in it, and it also has to contrast with our skin, which which means that I don't think people who have uh, light skin like I do should wear um, like beige <laughs> right yeah that's a different topic yeah. but you, from my perspective each jean jacket and each jean would have to have a certain amount of difference in the intensity of color and wear and holes and all those kinds of things it might you, be no, but you're, no. but you're, 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 you're you're also like under i think that you're under the assumption that like i have Jean jackets that are all different colors. No, they're all the same color. No, they're all denim. I get that. No, but I'm just. <laughs> no, I but, mean, you like, know, go ahead. They're like exactly the same. That's they're all. <laughs> they're all like faded to the same point and all of that. Oh yeah, they're like it's it's weird. I don't even know. It's hard to explain. So so like wait so like nobody would ever know that you had more than one because they all look that much the same. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, it's, it's pretty close. They, yeah. Oh, like some David. have a line, like some have a lining in them, but you know, like other than that, it's weird. What do you want from me? <laughs> okay, then I was imagining slight differences in, in yeah, vintage, no. um, so, you know, with with some that were more faded from longer term use, and maybe some that had some, right. some kind of embellishment, whatever kind of patch or stenciling or whatever that that might have happened. From some right. <laughs> okay, no, they're all the same. Okay, got it. <laughs> so that's your one place where you are pretty pretty consistent. That it's not yeah, just jean so. a certain style of jean jacket. Okay. Well, I think that okay. also getting back to what you were saying about there should be a certain contrast. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. Like you know, like growing up, like we like I like monochromatic was like always like something that my mother was like really like into like if you had like black shoes on you wear black socks black pants black shirt <laughs> you know like it's just weird i don't know <laughs> black is difficult because black fades and so then you have all these yes. different blacks and some of them look good together <laughs> some of them down in my world yeah <laughs> for sure Okay, so jean jackets are a thing. A certain jean jacket is a thing for you. What about writing? Where where did that? Ha- when did you? Um, when did you realize that this is something I've got to keep doing? You know, I I mean, it's hard to say. You know, like I was in bands and stuff like that, 
and you know like mm-hmm. i was writing songs and and things like that i started writing poetry i think when i was like in my teens it was all really bad i actually have all of it just so i could kind of look back on it from time to time to see where like i've been uh-huh. and like to see how i've grown uh i think i started taking writing seriously probably around uh, 2011 mm-hmm. so you know and you know I'm, I'm actually older you know like i'm 43 so i lived a lot of life prior to starting to really take writing seriously and like right around 2012 i was working on a novel that was failing miserably every day and i started writing some poetry and again and like taking that more seriously and it's just kind of evolved from there you know it's 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 an addiction you know like to me it's i need to do it because it's mathematical to me in a way trying to figure out how to put everything together to make a seamless object of art at the end of it uh-huh. so Interesting. i don't know if that answers anything <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm always interested in in Maybe it's in the impact of creating. You know, what is it? What is it about writing poetry that has made that something you recognize as a passion? It's something that you must do. Do you do you have a sense of of that for you on that real personal basis of how does it feel? What do you think? What what is it that that you get from writing poetry that you didn't get before you started doing that extensively? Well, I could tell you a couple of things. One, one thing is that like, I've always like, I'm, I'm, I'm like a, uh, how do I put this? I like fiddling with things and I like building things and like, I'm good with my hands and stuff. And like, I almost, I call, like, I always say like, you know, writing is kind of like building a house, you know what I mean? Like you have to put all certain parts of, of into it to create a ha- you know, to create something at the end. And like with poetry for me, like it's instant gratification in a way because I could probably kick out a poem in a day or a week or the longest a month maybe. Or, you know, like I've actually, I have a couple of poems that actually took me a couple of months, but that's instant gratification when you're working large scale, like like with my novel that took like, you know, two years to work on and to write and to edit and all of that stuff. So like that long haul is, is an arduous task that there's not a lot of instant gratification from it. And for it being a finished product, and with a poem, you can kind of like, you know, like I wrote a poem the other day in like 12 minutes and I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, so that's, to me, it's creating a piece of art and like, you know, you kind of get like that short term buzz of like finishing something. Mm-hmm. You know, cause there's always a lot of like, you know, like, you know, in the, the writing world, there's always not in the writing world. I'm sorry. Like in, in areas like New York, things like that, everybody's writing a book and they're telling you, you know, oh, I'm, I'm writing a novel and like I'm writing this and I'm doing that. And nobody ever finishes anything that you're talking to. And then you talk to people that actually finish things. And it's like, you know, getting to a point where you're finishing work and you're editing work and you're, you know, getting it published and you're, you're working towards a goal. Then it's like a more serious project. And like, it's not, you're not telling your friends you're going to the moon and then never showing up. Hmm. My sensing a little disdain here for other writers. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. You know, like no, I don't. I don't really look at other people to tell you the truth. Like I, I'm way above, like over that. You know, like I, I, I mean, I've caught myself at times. Like you know, like I, I work with a lot of people, and like I'm involved with a lot of other poets that do things, and like 
you know, I was saying to a friend the other night, I don't look at them like to say, okay, they're doing this wrong or doing this. I try to see what they're doing right. So I can like uh-huh. maybe imbue it, imbue it in, onto myself in some way uh-huh. because it's, it's like a tough that. game. Yeah. But the, I like what you said that, that you look at people, look at other poets to look at what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Like Cause there's that. a lot of people that like they're doing, they're, everybody's doing something right. Mm-hmm. Might not, you know, like, so you know, you know, I can't like, you know, I'm not perfect. God, if I was, I'd be, you know, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can look at other right. You know, I, I, I can't stand like it's art and like people that are serious about it. They're putting a lot of people don't realize how much time you put into it. I mean, it's a lot of time and effort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if somebody's doing that, there has to be something that's worthwhile there. And you have need to look at it and appreciate it and try to, and if, you know, steal it. steal this book steal this book yeah yeah i I like the emphasis on paying attention to what other people are doing that that good writing doesn't come in a void good good writing requires exposure to writing it it requires reading and hearing people read and Yeah. People forget that. It's not all about you, writer. It's about right. the whole set of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I started I started doing this thing that like probably I'd say it's probably two years now. Like every time I do something, like I publish something or I learn something, I pass it along to somebody if I can. Nice. Nice. And that's always like and like, there's two ways of looking at that. That can be like one, I'm doing it because I, I want somebody, I want to get something from somebody else, but I'm really not. But, or two, that like, it's a karmic thing. If I do something good for somebody else, it always comes back to you. And I've done it. And I've just, this has just been a mantra that I've been doing for, mm-hmm. that I've been following for a while. Mm-hmm. If I do something, I figure something out, I pass it along. Something always, something good always comes out of it. Yeah, that's cool. Always. And, Every time. and they're, they're, these different ways we can do that. You know, when you said that, one of the people it made me think about is, I don't know whether you know him, John Yamras, who is yeah. also, okay. And, and he's in Pennsylvania. So um, in the Eastern part of this, this country, whereas I'm right in the middle, but one of John's commitments is that he buys a book of poetry every week. His, yeah. his, you know, experience is, you know, both wanting to be exposed to what other people are doing and wanting to support um, other people. And, you know, most small poetry books, they're maybe around $10 and a couple bucks for shipping or whatever, you know, not a huge right. expense. But but I love that, you know, that, that John, who is an amazing poet and such a wonderful person, um, that he's he's there looking at you know what are other people doing, and and you know he's he's not assuming that everything's going to be fabulous, but certainly right. he also finds some people whose work that he does really like, and and he's a great person for for encouraging people you know who are taking their work seriously um, to to grow and become better. He's he's a, a great mentor in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I know John, like, uh, I've been in contact with John a lot. I actually wrote a blurb for one of his books, and he's been a proponent of my work. Uh-huh. And, you know, yeah, John has a good attitude towards it. You know, he's in, you know, he's, John, John's an older gentleman who, you know, he's been at it for a while, and he knows good, and he knows bad, and he kind of, like, calls balls and strikes. But, you know, like, he's, like, 
buy a book every week. He follows these things. You know, he doesn't mess yeah. around with it. Yeah. You know. Oh. Well, that says a lot that he is one of those people who respects the work that you're doing. Um, John is, is again, a wonderful person and, and talented poet and, and discerning. You know, he's not going to tell you he likes your stuff if he doesn't like it. <laughs> no, he's, he's not. No, not a, not a, yeah, yeah. That doesn't make him wrong. That just makes him odd. I mean, it's you know, that's the thing. That's good, and we need that. We all need that. You know, one of the things he said to me several times, he's like, you're such a pro, you're so prepared. And I was like, John, I am so interested. I'm not very well prepared. Right, right. <laughs> Let's hear more of your poem. I'm having a blast talking to you, and I hope our listeners are listening and, and laughing and thinking about all this stuff. How about some more poetry from you? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. All right, well, this is a newer, I, I have a, I actually have another a chapbook coming out with another friend of mine. His name is Kendall A. Bell, who's a great poet. And uh, this is one of the poems from that book. And it's called uh, Infinitely Humbled by the Sound of Thunder. It's for Robert Lax, who's another poet that's an older poet that I think has passed away at this point, but he was pretty interesting. And this is Infinitely Humbled by the Sound of Thunder. A child's mind is a delicate sponge that drinks it all in. They know this, get wet over this, sink teeth into this. And with little work and manipulation, a mirror image of hate will soon take the place of what was once a pure blank canvas. And this adulterated flesh will eventually adulterate its own flesh to complete a dark and infinite circle of demonic stupidity, much less human than all those they choose to condemn. And this is how this world works. And this is how this world works. And this is how this world works as I sit here alone and pray for some sort of unity, infinitely humbled by the sound of thunder. Wow. Yeah, and, and in terms of things going on in this country and in the world it's, praying for unity is a good thing it's so yeah it, there's so much that's like insidious in ways that that i don't i know that i realize some things as a parent that were kind of disillusioning and and i think about when my older son was about four i had two friends who Two men who were having at that point a commitment ceremony because the gay marriage wasn't recognized as a legal thing. And and my little four-year-old son knew in his mind, two men don't get married. I'm like, why do you know that? Why do you think that? That hurts my heart. <laughs> like that's not what you're hearing yeah. from me. Where did that come from? Oh, it's so sad. <laughs> Right, but they're not born that way. Right. It comes from somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, and that's something that, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I always use the term, like, you know, I've, I've known good and bad in all things. And, you know, it's just, at this point, it's you would think that in the 21st century that people would be a little bit more open to embracing everything and, like, mm -hmm. you know, not, you know, being the way things are. And But, you know, like, things are hiding in the, in the shadows and... You know, it's, you know, the poem, that's basically what the poem is about. It's like, you know, we have a responsibility as parents. I'm not a parent, but like, you know, these people are coming from somewhere and it's generational. Yeah. It's, it's kind of never going to change unless, you know, people as a whole try to, you know, 
not let things like that occur with their children, with, uh, with, you know, with, even with like, you know, like people that you're mentoring, like mentors, mm-hmm. you know, if you're mentoring somebody and you, they're looking at you as a role model, if you're not, you know, like instilling, you know, values that are valid, then, you know, like, you know, the world's never going to get better. Right. Right. Heavy stuff to think about, and that's part of the real world, and we can all do our parts. I need yeah, to for sure. I, I need to interrupt our conversation because I just looked at what time it is, and we need to take a little break. So quick break, hearing from some of the Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor lawrencehits.com, and then we'll be right back. And today my guest is Charles Joseph coming to us from New Jersey, and you are hearing him thanks to... Producer Daniel Smith. We'll be right back. Thanks. Welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein, and my guest is Charles Joseph, who is a writer, poet, short stories, and at some point, novelist is what I understand, um, coming to us from New Jersey. And we were in the midst of sort of current events in terms of we need to work for unity. We need to work for love and kindness and and. That is sort of my idea is we work for as opposed to only work against. Um, we, we bring the positive into the world. We don't just think about what we want to eliminate. Um, that's, to me, a, a message about living and life in general. It's, it's super hard to just, I'm going to stop doing this or that unless <laughs> I have something I'm going to do instead that's a better thing. Anyway. So you, you, part of what you mentioned in the context of the poem you just shared, um, infinitely haunted by the sound of thunder, you mentioned a, a new book that's coming up. Tell us a little bit about you, your books, how people find them, um, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, all of my, well, at this moment, the only book that's available for sale is Chameleon Omnibus Unum, 2012 to 2016. It's a short story and poem collection, uh-huh. and that's available on Amazon and on, from my website, charlesjosephlit.com. And my chapbooks are, you know, they're smaller, so they're generally available in hand at readings or uh-huh. on my website. Okay. And, and the book that's coming? Oh, it's called Happiness is a Death Blow. <laughs> uh, it's a split chapbook with Kendall A. Bell and myself. Uh-huh. And that's going to be in September, towards the end of September. And happiness is a death blow. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's the name of the book. Happiness is a death blow. Both Kendall and I both suffer from some sort of depression that we both, you know, have. And, you know, it's kind of like this, like, like it's the title basically alludes to, you know, our, 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 our train of thought, the, the poetry itself is, you know, has some, you know, up moments. You know, we, I always, me personally, I can't speak for him. I mean, I always tend to put hope in my work mm-hmm. and, you know, there is hope, you know, I don't write anything that's just like, you know, the end of the world is near, mm-hmm. you know, there is hope and everything. That's basically that. Cool. And is the publisher already committed? Oh yeah. Well, I, I'm, I, yeah, it's my press. It's indigent okay. press is my press. And okay. basically I, I publish, you know, 12 poem chapbooks for, you know, people that, you know, that either submit or that I come in contact with that I, I feel like I would like to work with. Okay. So in addition in the, to your own writing through Indigent Press, you're, you're publishing other people's chapbooks. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, we, there, we, at this point, I mean, I'd hope to have more titles out, but there was a few issues that we had along the way. But mm-hmm. you know, this year, I think we, we're going to do five books, which is cool. kind of interesting and fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's part of what I was saying about, you know, doing something for others. You know, it's a nonprofit press. So whatever I, work I do or we do is, you know, the poet basically, you know, gets all the profits from their books. Uh-huh. Cool. And how about you in person? Do you do you have some regular venues, some things coming oh, I'm up kinda, on your calendar? Kinda, oh, I do. I, I have like uh, I have a reading this Sunday in Lenoka Harbor, New Jersey. It's called Verbatim with Cord Moreski and, and a bunch of great poets. And then what else? I have one on the 18th in Mount Holly, New Jersey. But more importantly, I think is on September 9th, I'm going to be reading in St. Louis, Missouri at the Book House. So that's actually oh. maybe somewhere within the reach of your listener base it's possible (laughs) with john dorsey baron roy board damian rucci and myself so far oh awesome awesome yeah Yeah. and i i thinking there's a great poet community in st louis missouri so that's that's going to be a lot of fun i bet meeting some people in the room who's working yeah Um, who's you know you corresponded with but but not had the chance to be in the room with which is very cool right i'm gonna put a little plug there for you to consider something at that reading so you said that reading in st louis is on september 9th yes and september 10th is the day designated as world suicide prevention day it's it's the day that that that's why i do uh, my event would save lives on that September 10th date year. My point is that you have made that statement that, that you are a person who experiences depression um, and that you like to inspire hope. And I'm just saying that September is a month where there are people who are talking more about things like depression and anxiety and suicide risk and trying to bring people together, create community, create belonging, um, remind people that who they are is important and no shame for the things that are hard things in our life. So just saying that in case that influences which poems that you read on September 9th. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Well, actually, I, I actually prepared a couple of poems because of uh, just the show in general. And I, you mm-hmm. know, to speak to that. And like, if I can read one of them, that would be great. Great. I'd love that. Yeah. So the name of this poem is called uh, Honey, Please Stop Hiding the Steak Knives for Kendall A. Bell. Oh. It's hard to remain calm when it feels like your head is about to explode and the pressure in your bones is more uncomfortable than it's ever been. So you ask yourself if this is what it feels like to drown while the woman you love looks at you through the eye of a microscope, hoping that she will find the cure to whatever's eating you alive, which seems as if it may help, but it never does. So you grin and say, don't worry, honey, I'm fine, but you're not fine. You're just desperately trying to keep her from hiding the steak knives again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there so, are a lot of people you know, living like that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, basically, it's you know, the, your your life affects others, and yes, and and the people you, that you care about, and it's hard to identify with that and figure out how to make everything jive correctly. Yes. And 
you know, so. That's, but. that's an important thing to, well, it, it, as you shared that poem, it resonates for me in, you know, the, the, my suicide prevention community type of work that um, a woman named Anne Marie Matulis in Taunton, Massachusetts, who's a friend and a colleague and, and is really working very hard to help create supports for people who are the loved ones of people who are affected by suicide thoughts and attempts because it right. is exhausting for both people. It's exhausting for the person who's trying everything they can to stay alive and, and to, to have more joy in life, not just stay alive. And it's, right. it's terrifying for the loved ones who are wanting to help and not really sure what to do. And people in our country still don't really want to talk much about mental health kinds of stuff. You know, it's, we don't, don't have a hard time talking about broken legs and getting your teeth, you know, crowned or what fillings and that kind of stuff, you know, getting eyeglasses when you don't see very well, but we don't do a lot of talking about how lots of people have some struggles that are related to hard experiences that they've had or that are related to the way the brain's wired, you know? So, um, every, everybody needs support and talking. That's, that's where that not keeping secrets, not not being filled with shame is really important. So I love that poem that you just shared because it's it's so poignant and so many people can relate to that on either or both sides, being the person who's tired of being under the microscope and not wanting to cause pain for other people and being right. the person trying to, to help their loved ones stay safe. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, yeah. so, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, and, you know, but, you know, I mean, I get through it and like, you know, there's hope. I mean, it's just, but it's hard. Like you said, it's, it's hard for a person, you know, looking, looking at somebody through the other side of a fishbowl to, to tell them, Hey, listen, don't feel this way. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. You know, so that yeah. doesn't work. Don't feel this way. That does not help anybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Wondering, do not tell somebody <laughs> just to feel differently. I remember back in the old, old days of doing, I mean, this, this, I can't even, back in the days when actually schools used real to real film, we're talking real to real film in, in right. education classes for kids. Okay. So we had this film that we would use as presenters for talking with kids about how to how to get themselves and their friends through when when we have depressing times, and I always remember one one line in one of those those films, or maybe this was actually on VHS cassette. I don't know, but anyway, it, there's a line between the in the film from the kid who's the one who's who's really struggling, whose friend has just said, you know, well maybe if you smiled more you would right. feel better and and the yeah. kid who's struggling looks up and says that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard you know, like, <laughs> if it were that easy would i not be doing that shut up <laughs> right yeah that's for yeah. sure so is this poem that you just read is it in this chapbook that will come in september happiness is a death blow uh, no, that, that's actually, the last poem was actually, it's in Chameleon. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, other than that, I mean, poem wise and everything, like, you know, I'm moving around a lot and you know, it's exciting. I mean, I have another a book after that come that I'm gonna do and I'm I'm constantly on the move. Uh-huh. So the next book is in progress. And and at this point, although you have novel in your past and you have some short stories in Chameleon, are you are you only doing poetry at this point? No, I mean, right now, I mean, since like Chameleon, I have to actually like market the book. Uh-huh. And it's kind of weird, but I'm actually in a lull right now. So I'm just writing poetry probably until mid-September. And then I'm going to probably be working on a new novel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. And so, and I'll probably at that point, I'll probably write maybe a poem or two a month. Mm-hmm. So. so how did you decide about that you would do this new novel? Because actually at the beginning of the show, when you were talking about poetry and, and the appeal of writing poetry, I hadn't anticipated that you'd be writing another novel. So, so tell us. Oh yeah, no. I, well, I, I mean, writing novels is really what I want to be doing. You know, I, I, I think that like, you know, why that is, it's just, it's a, it's a behemoth of a project and it's, I enjoy it and I hate it and it's challenging and the challenge of it is great. And, you know, that's ultimately what I, you know, you know, fiction is ultimately what I really is my main goal in life, probably as far as my writing is concerned. And, you know, the poetry is is a great outlet. You know, so I can, I'm multifaceted and I appreciate the poetry for what it is. And, you know, I, it's, it's given me so much, you know, like I've met so many people because of it and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, so I can do multiple things. You know, I would love to do a whole short story collection someday. I mean, that's another thing that I would love to do. So okay. that's basically where I'm at. Okay. And who knows? beyond the most immediate year or two, what will happen next? Because I'm sure that can change too in terms of what your writing path will be. Yeah, I mean, basically, whatever idea I wake up hot to and I, I jump on, that's basically what's going to take up the moment, <laughs> going to take up my time. I mean, that's basically how it works. You know, I literally have enough ideas to last me. I, I can't even, I don't even think I could write. Like, I, I, won't live lo- I won't live long enough to write all the ideas that I have. Uh-huh. And so, how much how much time do you spend being able to read other people's work? Like, how does that work? Because I'm imagining lots of writing, especially when you start working yeah. on this novel. So how do you fit yeah. in to read other people's work? Well, when I'm reading when I'm writing fiction, I read at least generally between a half hour to an hour a day. Mm-hmm. And right now, I'm actually not reading right now which is because of this heat. Like, I'm, I'm actually really not good in the summertime. Like, I, I have a hard time. My attention span's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So I generally don't write very well in the summer, so I'm just kicking out what I can kick out. And once the, the fall comes back in, I'll probably read an hour a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm literally sitting in a room full of books right now as I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. But, love... I mean, I have lists and lists and lists of people to read and things to yeah. read. I mean, yeah, I mean, I get that because I, it's, I, I am sitting here with how many? One, two, three, four, five, five books of poetry that are all fairly new to me, right in front of me, 
And, and then the next layer is two books by poets that are writing exercises. And then on the bottom is a book on grief therapy. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the thing that's nice about poetry is that you can kind of read a few pages here and there. Like, you know, yes. like I just got, uh, I just got uh, the complete works of length and use. So I've been reading mm-hmm. through that, like, you know, here and there. A Lawrence, Kansas connection. He spent some yeah, time growing up in Lawrence, Kansas, where I live. Yeah. He actually, he actually spent some time growing up where I come from. He, he worked on a farm on his summers where I come from. All right. So, yeah. So that Langston News is actually a pretty big influence on me. There's a whole list of people. That's cool. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, and, and like, I, I read poems accidentally. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird. You know, like, I mean, my, my Facebook feed is full of poets that are posting poems constantly, so I'm constantly sure. reading them. Yeah, that, that's, that's very good. And and reading them, maybe reading a poem or two by somebody, and you know, looking at their stuff. But but you know, we can't we can't do all the reading that we would like to do because no. as we're reminded there needs to be real life too. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I mean, I do a lot. I go to a lot of readings, like like uh, a lot of um, you know shows. So I mean, I hear a lot of poets too. I mean, I probably heard a hundred poets this year. Different, <laughs> you know. What I mean, like you know, just with open mics and stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really, really wonderful. So, how about another one of your poems? Since poems, that's that's what you're writing at this point. You're not. We're not going to yeah, talk sure. about the novel right now. But how about another? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm working on a project that I can't really give too much information because it's 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 at the infant stages but basically the poems are taking song type songs that we like and using a line from the song as the title mm-hmm. so this is called give me a ticket for an airplane for b deal who, who's been on your show actually yeah yeah I know. Uh-huh. all right so this is actually a longer poem okay so here it goes give me a ticket for an airplane Somewhere in all this maddening sound filled with mundane voices and mundane activities, the tick, tick, tick of the clock on the wall reminds me that seven and three quarter hours have passed since I've arrived. And that for seven and three quarter hours, I've been glued in place, frozen in time, like some freak of an automaton built out of meat and skeleton. Although I only have 15 minutes left until the end of my shift, it feels like the longest 15 minutes of my life because... Much hap- uh, excuse me, because much havoc can happen in 15 minutes, like, for instance, an earthquake or an atomic blast, or worse yet, a sharp prod from my bo- boss that forces me to volunteer to work overtime again, which would mean that she, Kathleen, my wife, my friend, and my love would spend another evening alone patiently waiting for me to come home while I sit here yearning and burning for its waiting for me behind the front door of my humble abode. So right now, I wish that this building had two great wings, a hundred turbine engines, and a pilot with enough know-how to get us up, up, and away from the ground and north by northwest toward my home without turning us into a crashed-up, smashed-up, modern art masterpiece because I'm not afraid to fly or to die, and I've never jumped out of an airplane before, but at this moment, I'm more than willing to grab hold of my nuts and leapfrog out into the wild blue and pop a chute so I can float 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0,000 feet down over this beautiful pile of garden green shit called New Jersey and scream, I'm free, motherfucker, I'm free, as long as I can make it home in time for dinner. Wow. 
And tell me about the connection to B. Deal, who's uh, another friend of yours. I think well, actually, of him I mean, as he's 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 very he's he's pushes out into the world how socially anxious he feels and how much he loves cats. <laughs> so yeah. I'm trying to understand the this this poem connection to him. Well, Brandon and I like we the, we actually did a split chapbook together back in 2012 ish. Uh-huh temporary obscurity that like really basically like it did well and like we we met on twitter mm-hmm. and like we literally put a book together did everything through email and everything like that and and published a book without ever meeting each other in person mm-hmm. and our re- relationship has just grown over time since then and, and since then we've you know hung out a bunch of times and did a bunch of readings together and stuff like that and he's a really great guy uh-huh. cool very cool. And Damien Ritchie is obviously another one of your yeah. area buddies there in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. We do a lot of readings together, Damien and I. We're, we're good, really good friends. I mean, he's a lot younger than me, which is uh-huh. kind of funny and, and good because, like, you know, he kind of keeps me going. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Damien's like, he's never tired. Awesome. I mean, not only his poetry, but his, his integrity and his wanting to to help other people do good stuff you know it's like i that's that's stuff that i so admire and that's yeah cool and so you're you're gonna miss that guy when he's here in the middle of the country instead of yeah for sure i mean yeah we already have plans we already have plans to hook up and stuff like that it's it's, you know it's our relationship will carry on it's just life goes on and we you know we, we learn to adapt to it yeah. Well, and in that, uh, kind of as a reminder or maybe new information, I'm sure in talking to Damien at some point, you had heard about the Midwest Poetry Fest, uh, the Kansas City yeah. one. And so the next incarnation of that is likely to be um, in 2018 in October. And it's been christened Fountain Verse. The right. Kansas City Small Press Poetry Festival. So um, perhaps he'll lure you out here for that event. Well, I was actually I was actually supposed to go to the Throwdown this year, but just due to circumstances beyond my control, I, I I couldn't you know make it happen. But uh-huh. you know I, I have plans to go. You know I'm I'm planning to try to figure out how to get there. You know next year cool. to the next one. Very cool. Yeah. Well, the next one, keep in mind, it's likely to be October 2018, as opposed right. to during National Poetry Month this time. So that's going to be an exciting thing. And, and lots of writers who are also um, heading up small presses will be part of that. Very cool, very cool. We are at the end of our hour, an hour of delights, of random conversation and good poetry and some little hints for life and some serious conversation. Um I want to remind people that that you're you're saying you you know you've got books on your website, chapbooks and and chameleon. You've got some public events coming up, and it sounds like you're in front of a mic in public pretty often. For those mm-hmm. people who are in my part of the country, on September 9th, you're going to be in St. Louis. I will put information about that in the post on for the show on the Talk With Me Facebook. This has been really great. What a what a wonderful part of my day listeners of your day so thank you very much charles joseph oh thank you for having me i had a great time very good and so long to our listeners